Good evening, everybody. My name is Jim. I'm a member here at Bethany Baptist Church. Um, tonight, I feel a great privilege of being able to give to you guys God's spoken word. I voted for number two this morning. I know I was right. Um, there's pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, I think it's in page 460. If this is your first time reading a Bible, uh, the big numbers to the left are the chapter numbers and the small um, numbers are the verses. Job chapter 29, verse 14. I clothe myself in righteousness and it enveloped me and my just decisions were like a robe and a turban. This is the word of God. May the word of Christ dwell with us richly. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying that we would see you glorious in all of this. Please use me to speak your words, to just repeat it and relay it to the members and our guests here at Bethany Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our library at home, we have this book written by R.C. Sproul titled, The Priest with Dirty Clothes. It's actually one of my favorite children's books, drawing upon a concept of righteousness and holiness that I think God intends for us to understand in the book of Job. It was about a priest who was on his way to the palace to face the king, except there was one problem. On the way to the palace, his priestly clothes got dirty, and there was no way for anyone, even a priest, to face the king with dirty clothes. See, the clothes you wear matter. I was in a business meeting for work this week, and the question of the day for many of us who were used to wearing hospital scrubs as attire in the office was, what do we wear to the meeting? I mean, should I come in a suit, wear a fancy watch, wear my leather shoes that make clicky-clack noises when I walk down the hallway? You know, I wasn't the only one asking the question. So the bottom line, depending on the occasion, and depending on who you are, what you wear to the occasion matters. That's the main goal of our passage this evening. Do the right thing and wear what is right. And it's also our one and only point. So one question we have to answer is why? Why does it matter? This brings us to our passage in the occasion of Job. I think for us to understand Job's statement correctly in 29.14 and know why it matters, we have to at least know the background of what was happening in this point of the story. Most of us know the story of Job, but in review for those of you who don't, Job was one good dude. According to God, he had no one else on earth like him, perfect in integrity, and he feared God and ran away from evil. You'll find that in chapter 1, verse 8. So long story short, Satan comes up to God, accuses him, and says that the only reason Job followed him is because he was blessed. So God permits the devil to take everything he has except his life. And it happened. I mean, the guy lost all his children, 10 of them. He lost his business. The Chaldeans came and practically wiped them out. And in all of it, the Bible says he didn't sin, or he didn't blame God. So round two, Satan comes up again, accuses God and says, skin for skin, 
A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. So Job gets boils from head to feet. And it's so bad, his own wife encouraged him to curse God and die. Of course, he doesn't. The Bible reiterates that in all of this, Job did not sin. That's amazing. You know, I had a sinus headache all week and all kinds of sin and irritation had formed in my heart. But boils from head to toe, all of your kids dead, all your wealth gone in an instant. And the Bible says in all of this, Job did not sin. And as the story goes, three friends come. They try to console him. But eventually, they start to rationalize in their conversations with Job that he must have sinned. For all these bad things to happen to him, there's no way he had not sinned or he didn't deserve any of this. They go back and forth like they're on a debate team, which brings us to chapter 25 with Job's friend Bildad, his name was Bildad, asking Job some pretty legit questions. His line of questioning to Job went something like this. How can a person be justified before God? How can one be born of a woman be pure? That's in chapter 5, verse 25. Then from chapters 29 to 32, we get Job's claim to innocence, or he's been claiming he's innocent all throughout, but this is his final claim to innocent, that in all of this, in all that was going on, he did not sin. I just want to read for us 29, 7 to, 7, 7 to 17, so that we get a sense of how Job saw himself in all of this. Let me read it really quick. When I came out to the city gate, I took my seat in the town square. The young men saw and withdrew while other men stood to their feet. City officials stopped talking and covered their mouths with their hands. The noblemen's voices were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. When they heard me, they blessed me. And when they saw me, they spoke well of me. For I rescued the poor who cried out for help and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. The dying blessed me and I made the widow's heart rejoice. I clothed myself in righteousness and it enveloped me. My just decisions were like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. And I was a father to the needy and I examined the case of the stranger. I shattered the fangs of the unjust and snatched the prey from his teeth. If you're a Christian, does that sound like someone you know? And you think the story is complete, but the plot thickens. Job claims his innocence. His three friends eventually shut up because Job was righteous in his own eyes. 32.1. And then a young man comes on the scene and he's really ticked off at Job. Because Job justified himself rather than God. So... We're, we're really getting into the climax of the story. For the next six chapters, this guy, this young man named Elihu, he goes on a tirade on why everyone, including Job, is wrong and why God is right. And if you read the next six chapters, you would think Elihu really makes sense. You have to read carefully. He's got some things to say and say it he does. And you would think he thought he was God's lawyer by saying things like, and I quote him, be patient with me a little longer, and I will inform you. For there is still more to be said on God's behalf. 
I will get my knowledge from a distant place and ascribe justice to my maker. For my arguments are without flaw. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. You know, whether he's truly righteous or not in saying this, I think is not the point. I think the point of Elihu being in the story is that it paints for us a picture of who men really are and who they think they are and who God himself claims to be. See, you have Job on the one hand who, who has claimed innocence and did not sin against God in all of his trials. And then you have Elihu, a young man who seems so passionate for God that he sought to defend God before Job's three friends and even Job himself. And then you have God who's silent through the entire discourse of Job's three friends, all of Job's discourses in rebuttal and claims to innocence, and even Elihu, who purported to speak for God, God is silent, who finally answers Job in a whirlwind asking, who is this that obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Like, who is this dude, right? God continues to speak to bring us to the climax and to the end of the book and the story of Job. God in all of this asked questions to Job and Job couldn't answer any of it. I wonder how much we would be able to answer if God were to direct those questions to us. Questions like, where were you when I established the earth, Jim? Tell me. If you know, if you have understanding, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And what is God saying in all of this? I mean, you have Elihu who was immediately put in this place as he tried to speak on behalf of God. And if you read the story, God doesn't even pay attention to Elihu, right? God's line of questioning basically went like this. Who is this guy? And then proceeded to ask Job the questions that Job couldn't answer. So you have Elihu, self-righteous, speaking on God's behalf, disposed of. And then you have Job who, while innocent, did not sin, as the Bible makes clear, have nothing else to say before a great and holy and awesome God. So as innocent as Job was, here's all, that, here's all that he had to say before God. 40, 4 to 5, he says, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not reply. Twice. But now I can say nothing. And then in 42, 46, he goes on to say, I know you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. Brothers and sisters, before God's holiness, we are nothing. 
Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the old, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. You know, in all the supporting characters of the Bible, there was probably no one more righteous than Job. Yet, when God spoke and showed himself to Job, Job repented and took back all his words. It didn't matter how innocent or full of integrity he was. His innocence and integrity was no match for God's holiness. So now, what do you do when you seemingly have the most righteous guy in the Bible and he's no longer good enough? I mean, remember, this is the guy that lost his kids, got boils from head to toe, lost his business, and all of it, all of his trials did not sin. What do you do when it's the same guy who says, who says things like, I clothed myself in righteousness and it enveloped me, and my just decisions were like a, a robe in a turban? What do you do when the one guy who said this comes before the face of God and even he is not good enough? What he's wearing is not good enough. We read this verse and we'll struggle to apply it because it's obvious. If Job wasn't good enough, then certainly you and I don't even come close. So what do we do when our righteousness is not good enough? What we're wearing, when what we're wearing is not good enough? Brothers and sisters, we need to look past Job and look to the one who was sinless and had no need to repent. To the one who had no sin and yet became sin for us that we might in him become the righteousness of God. We need to look to Jesus, our righteousness. If you're not a Christian, I want to address you for just one second. If it seems like it's hopeless because no one is righteousness enough to be completely innocent before God, nor can one attain the heights of God to even attempt to speak for him, guess what? You're right. God is that holy, and we are not. But here's some good news for you. God created you and me to live with him forever in this holiness, seeing this glory forever. But sin entered into this world and ruined all that. Because Adam conceived sin and disobeyed God. And because they had sinned, now we have sinned. But thanks be to God. Remember some of Job's final words in, this, in speaking to God. He said, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. His plan was to give us someone who the story of Job foreshadowed. This someone named Jesus would be sent into this world to live a more, a, a way more righteous life than Job ever lived. But here's the difference. He was also sent to suffer and die on a cross for the sins of the world. And here's the good news. He suffered and died for you so you can live. God says, if you repent from your sin and turn from evil, even your own self-righteousness, and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will live forever. This righteousness is guaranteed. Jesus, after he was killed on that cross, rose from the grave after the third day, proving once and for all that, it was, that he was righteous and that death could not hold him in the grave.
If you're not a Christian, put your faith and trust in Jesus. But if you are a Christian, brother and sister, continue to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Do you remember the priest who couldn't face the king without a new robe? Well, the prince, the son of the king, gave the priest his own robe so now the priest with dirty clothes could now face the king. So the priest didn't just get a new set of clothes. He got the very clothes the prince wore before the king. Jesus, the prince of peace, has given us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are commanded in Romans 13.14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Have you failed in any way this week? Put on the Lord Jesus, his righteousness, and then do the right thing. Have you felt that you just haven't measured up this week? Put on the Lord Jesus, his righteousness, and do the right thing. Do you think you're just not making the cut and haven't felt very Christian lately? Brothers and sisters, put on the Lord Jesus, his righteousness, and do the right thing. Friends, are you wearing the right robe as fits the occasion when you stand before God, the Holy King? Put on the Lord Jesus, his righteousness, and do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate tonight because Jesus rose from the grave and that he is our righteousness. Father, we will fail throughout all our time here on earth, but Lord, I thank you that Jesus never failed. And I thank you that we can hang on to him and cling to him and have faith in him. Father, bless these words into our hearts and help us to remember this this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.